What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Disc Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all love and support, and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform, and make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Disc Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Welcome to another episode, or any of y'all would say, just in general, um, it's a little different, you know. But uh, we have uh, District 2 Council Member Quante Toombs here. Uh, welcome to the platform. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, thank you for being here. And I must say, I got to say this for the record, you know, <laughs> Quante came in, peanut butter, leather jacket, <laughs> you see the fit on, she was floating down the walkway. <laughs> I said, we interviewed this little shoot on the photo shoot we doing. But now, uh, now uh, how's everything been? 2022, new year, still dodging all these variants, viruses. It's been pretty busy. Um, yeah, we're barely two months in, and it's, it's been pretty busy just trying to get everything organized and, and stay on top of things. Yeah, you, um, just with your role as council member, y'all, it has been... A lot of heat <laughs> going on around our council members going just dating back to this I just think with the pandemic in general, mm -hmm. I think it's been probably in enhanced pressure, you know, our council members here in Nashville, what I would love to get into a little bit later on. But uh for people who don't know Quante, like like what got you into wanting to be a part of the law, legal mm -hmm. system, that inspiration, um, to even just want to serve your community. So I have wanted to be a lawyer since about third grade. Uh, you, um, you was one of those kids. I'm <laughs> <laughs> one of those kids. Um, uh, go ahead and scoot down for me, Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> His knee came up. <laughs> My bad. Okay. Go ahead, you can pick it up for your time. So I've wanted to be a lawyer since third grade. Uh, and that's just in learning more about our history as black people and what role lawyers played in uh, getting a lot of the civil rights advances that black people uh, have experienced over the decades. And so I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, as I got a little bit older, learned more about the criminal justice system and, and how it disproportionately impacted black folks. And so. I wanted to be, when I went to law school, I wanted to be a public defender oh. and I was going to fight for the people. Right. Uh, and so, uh, as far as my legal career, that, that changed uh, and I think that had a large part to do in, in what law school I went to. I went to Vanderbilt Law School, which was very corporate law focused. Right. And so, once you get in that environment, you become corporate law focused right. and go after the big bucks. Um, and so, that's what I pursued, but then ended up working for the state, which I get to help people every day in terms of, of health care and uh, like long-term care and things like that. Right. Uh, and then being a council person also gives me an avenue to fight for the people. Right. Uh, and, and I try to do that every day. And so um, if you had to do it over, would you go back and do public defender, be a public defender? Um, no, and I say that because for a while I practiced, for a year I practiced on my own. And I did uh, family law, and I did a lot of juvenile court work, and I represented children who were in uh, delinquency cases. Okay. And that really left a sour taste in my mouth, mm -hmm. just because the system was so tilted towards finding them delinquent. 
like perfectly good kids, um, just got into a little trouble. And some of them was minor trouble. Like, you know, back in the day, you pulled the fire alarm, you got detention. Right. Like, now they're sending you to court. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. Like, you're, you're having to go through the court system like you've right. committed some serious crime. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my cases, kids were horse playing, and one of the little boys, unknown to him, there was, he had some issue in his, in his brain. Oh. And so the horse playing aggravated that. And so he had some serious health effects. Wow. And, you know, his mother, this her baby, she wants somebody to, to be held accountable. Right. And so ended up my client, who was only a 12-year-old boy, right. ended up being held accountable for that and adjudicated delinquent where they were just playing. Like, how can you right. <laughs> end up in court for just playing? Even the kid who ended up hurt, he was like, we were just playing. Right. Uh, and so I knew then I didn't really have the stomach for that because that took a lot out of me doing those types of cases. I am more of a policy person right. up top. How can we change the system right. so that it has more of a uh, positive impact on people? Right. I'm glad you uh, brought up policy because um, like, I think that'd be the, like, the root causes really for a lot of things. Like it's easy. To, it's, I think it's easy for us to like attack the person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's really the, the the policies that kind of you know kind of control or perpetuate some of the systemic discrimination or whatever it may be that happens in our communities. Right. Now, for people who may not know, uh, being a council member, mm -hmm. uh, take us through a, a day in the life of a council member uh, here in Nashville. So I think a lot of people think that council members are full-time. <laughs> y'all not, <laughs> like not, not full-time. That that's the only job we have. We right. sit in the council office all day and we have a full staff that you know helps us handle our council business. Completely false. The vast majority of the folks on council also have a, a uh, I guess, on the books full-time job. Because right. I'll say being a council member is a full-time job even though we don't get paid for that we don't have the resources or staff to support a full-time position um, but you know I was at my day job today uh, had some training to do had some meetings I'm here with you <laughs> and then I got a meeting with my boss right after this and I'm gonna do the rest of my work uh, for the day and then probably return some phone calls for counsel in the evening so it's really it's intertwining whatever your other full-time job is with what your council responsibilities are. Right. Because in order to do the council job well, you have to commit the hours. Right. You know, this is not a 10 hours a week right. position. It's a at least 30 hours. And you, you try to... It's another job. Yeah, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, a, it's another job. job. It right. is definitely a job. And mm -hmm. you want to be responsive to, to people. You know, I accept interviews, I accept invitations to events, because I want to be supportive and be present in right. the community. Right. How do you, like, keep that balance? Because many people may know you more of the council member for District 2, Kwanse Tombs, other than uh, the attorney, the lawyer. How do you, you balance that to the daily life? The best I can. <laughs> I mean, I, I am really going from one thing to the next yeah. throughout the day. Uh, you know, like I said, I had a training this morning. I, I have a meeting after that. I'm coming to this. I have another meeting after that. I have to really keep my calendar tight. Right. Uh, 
sometimes I do double book myself, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. That's why I tried to move this time, but you wouldn't let she me. Tried, she tried, she tried. <laughs> Look, if you didn't accept this like a month and a half ago, I would have understood. <laughs> but don't see me on even at three in the morning. Girl, what's going on at three in the morning? What's going on? But nah, but nah. <laughs> I appreciate you for for squeezing me, working it out for me. <laughs> But yeah, I just do the best I can. You know, I have small children and a husband as well, so you know, making sure I have time for them. So. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so, um, I know um, being a council member sometimes it's not the easiest thing, to, the mm-hmm. easiest position, the thing to do, especially because you, everybody, we see you. We can mm-hmm. see you at the Kroger, mm-hmm. uh, the gas station. And at that particular moment, depending on how we might feel, you know, we can broach you. You might not feel like being broached in particular, mm-hmm. right? And, and and another layer to that is, like, you're a black woman, mm-hmm. and black folks, from our perspective, we tend to be a little harder mm-hmm. uh, on our elected officials, our council persons, uh, anybody that we feel they got some power in the community, we tend to hold them on a pedestal mm-hmm. um, compared to uh, other uh, ethnic groups that may be in our community mm-hmm. may have that same power. How do you balance and navigate that? So I think when you're on council, like, you're always on. If I don't want to be on, I don't leave the house. <laughs> so you always have to be uh, willing to be receptive to folks, to have conversations. Um, I think as far as uh, expectations, the expectations are high, mm-hmm. especially when you're in a black council person in a majority black district. Right. Uh, I think sometimes folks think you can do more than what you can, mm-hmm. uh, just because they're just sick and tired of things not right. being just or, or, or being equitable. Uh, and so I try to listen to the variety of viewpoints that are in my district because uh, everybody does not think the same. We're majority black, but all black folks don't think the same. Right. And so just listening to the different viewpoints and trying to find uh, consensus and then charting my path based off that consensus. And I want to, um, before I like, get deep into that, I want to go back to something you, you said. is like, you know, many people think y'all can do more or have more power than what actually you all have the capability mm-hmm. to do. Can you break down to us like what what actually can a council person do? Like mm-hmm. what what is that power? What is what does that look like for people who, who may say, Well, I need Quante to change these policies, change these laws mm-hmm. and she's not doing it. I you know, but it's deeper than that. So mm-hmm. help us understand like the actual power that you have mm-hmm. uh, with your seat in council. So the city has the powers that the state gives to us. Right. Um, and so a lot of actions that we take, the state can preempt it, meaning they pass a law that says you can't do that. Right. So take, uh, for example, affordable housing. Uh, in 2015, before I got into office, the, the council passed an inclusionary zoning bill, which would require uh, for certain developments, a certain percentage had to be affordable housing. Uh, great victory for affordable housing. The state said, no, you can't do that. Right. Um, and so that's where our power is limited you know criminal justice reform you know when you're talking about uh, criminal laws those are state laws so you're looking at your state legislators 
to change those things. Uh, what we try to do on the local level is, you know, there's certain local fees and fines that we charge. We can change that. Right. Um, so it's like we have to work within the confines of what we could do. Property tax relief. The state, uh, and actually uh, state constitution, dictates how that program looks. We can't change it on right. the local level. Um, and so it's just our our authority is is limited. Like we do how development goes, we do have a lot of control over that because we do uh, control like rezonings and things like that. Um, we do control um, city services. That's the, that's our main thing. City local city services we have the most control over. Uh, when you're talking about a lot of the system changes that people want to see, that's really on the state level. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you clarified that. And so as a council member, how could you use your voice um, at that state level to, or to influence, you know, state legislation? Like, hey, I don't, you know, I know y'all thinking about this, mm -hmm. but, you know, I at least have to say something and say, hey, my constituents in my community, this is not what they want or this won't benefit them. So the city has a lobbyist that works with the state legislators. So uh, our lobbying team keeps us abreast of, you know, what the significant le legislation is that impacts the city. Um, and that team works probably more closely with the mayor's office because the mayor is full-time right. and has a staff. <laughs> right. And so they work more closely with him and his staff uh, as far as, you know, how we feel as a city about certain legislation. And those lobbyists will communicate that to the sponsors of those varying uh, legislation and we try to work with our uh, local Davidson County uh, delegation but I mean those are all Democrats we're a progressive city right. super majority Republican state right. so uh, sometimes that's an uphill battle but there are some uh, instances where we can uh, work across the aisle and, and work together and, and uh, prevent some things that would be detrimental to Nashville. How does the redistricting of Davidson County like affect your job and like what you can and can't do or things that may be preempted at mm -hmm. this point at the state level? So on the local level, um, I don't think it impacts purely local issues as much because Davidson County is still majority progressive. Right. Uh, most people uh, on the council are probably still going to be progressive or at least a big section of will be progressive. On the federal level uh, where we're going to have three congressional districts I mean they're predicting that those will be all Republican Hill seats when Davidson County has always been a Democratic uh, Hill seat um, so that's going to be a significant change um, if you're looking to national politics uh, and so it, it will be more difficult for minorities to have a voice I think in uh, national politics hopefully that changes. I mean, we've come through a lot right. yeah. <laughs> over the centuries that we've been in this country, uh, and we tend to overcome obstacles that get put in our way. So I think that in the long run, we'll find a way to get over this hurdle, but in the short run, it is going to, I think, be kind of detrimental to a lot of the things that we want to see in our communities. Now, I want to go, go back to the blackness thing. Mm -hmm. Again, black folks tend to be harder. Yeah. <laughs> on black folks mm -hmm. in, in, in the position that you're in. Mm -hmm. Has your blackness ever been questioned due to a decision you made or didn't make? Didn't oh. make? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. How does that make you like? Like, how does and that make you feel? Really, just to be totally honest, it's fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> it's fighting words to to question a black person's blackness. Um, but as a council person, as a professional, like. I gotta keep it cool, right? You know, and and people when they are upset or feel very passionate about an issue, I mean, a lot of them are gonna come at you hard, right? Um, you know, when we were doing the budget, and I was budget chair. Um, a, a big issue that came up was how we fund police, right? Um, and there are people who want to completely defund the police, and that means different things for different people. Some people. That means completely getting rid of police as we know it. And some folks, that means reallocating resources to different things. Um, and so, and then I, again, going back to my majority black district with right. people with differing opinions, uh, you say defund the police. A lot of the folks in my district are like, you are out of your mind. Right. I don't support that. And so you have to balance those different viewpoints. Um, but I will say that the folks who were defund, take away half the police budget, were very loud. Right. Uh, I know one comment someone called me said that my substitute budget was uh, represented white supremacy. Wow. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, right. you know, because you know, in the substitute, we we were giving more more money to the schools giving uh, more money to the libraries, to the community centers, right. just trying to do things that we set up the, the grant for the violence interruption. Uh, we gave money for the um, the mental health cooperative that does the pilot, that's currently doing the pilot with MMPD. Yeah. Uh, and so the substitute budget that passed through council was designed to reallocate resources. Right. Um, which is a large part of the argument for defunding the police, reimagining public safety. But I knew, I don't, from my own majority black district, I don't have the, the political support for taking big chunks of money from the police budget. Right. Uh, so I knew I could not do that. And I personally don't think that's the way to go, but I do agree with reallocating resources and putting more resources into mental health, education, community right. programs, all those things. And that's what I did. Right. Um, and so it was difficult to hear, you know, folks questioning, you right. know, your blackness, you're you're anti black, you're right. you know, doing things that are gonna hate hurt minority communities. What would be a, a I guess a different approach that you would would that you would appreciate more if 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 I'm a black person specifically and I feel like some of the things, well, especially financially or policies, um, that you may be for are anti-black, or mm -hmm. I feel like it's 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 it's, it's, it's kind of not equitable mm -hmm. compared to other, or the effect won't be equitable compared to what it happened to other ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. What would be the best approach then that you would appreciate for communities, members that may be in your district or not mm -hmm. be in your district, mm -hmm. to kind of broach you about? Mm -hmm. I am open to having a conversation with anybody. I'll, I'll sit down with any group. Uh, I'll come to a meeting, sit on a panel, whatever you want me to do to have a conversation. So it's, it's not for me personally, right. it's not necessary to, 
to yell at me or you right. know call me out of my name just have a conversation right. and be open to I'm going to be open to listening to you and I need you to be open to listening to me because the way I vote on things like I don't pull that out of the air right. like that is coming from my constituents who have different viewpoints and I'm trying to balance all those viewpoints right how can um, community members your constituents and this is just not for you, but just anybody that want to reach out to their council member in the mm -hmm. district, you know, um, can you break down that power that as us as community members have to, you know, influence our council member to like, hey, we really, you know, really want to do this or really want to do that? Because I think a lot of people just don't even don't know who their council member is mm -hmm. or just don't reach out to them, right? Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. or her, right? Him or her, yeah. and so. Um, can, can you really break down the importance of like that reaching out and building that relationship with your council member and what they can do for issues when they come up of you already having that relationship built with your council member and being able to get their ear and say, hey, this is what I, this is what I see. Mm -hmm. This is some of the research I may have done. I feel mm -hmm. like the effects, um, how they can probably go a long way. So one of the benefits of our council being so large with 40 folks is that we have a smaller constituency that we have to govern. So every district has roughly about 20,000 people. Um, you, you look at other cities and folks are over like 100,000 people. I don't know how to communicate with 100,000 people. Right. But uh, with it being such a small area, you have uh, more access to your council person. So really an email works. Okay. And we read email. Uh, what may not get read is the anonymous email or the chain email where everybody says exactly the same thing. Once I've read 20 of those, I know what they say. But I do look to see the name and the address. Okay. If that is my constituent, I'm reaching out to that person directly. Let's have a conversation. Okay. Uh, calling me on the phone. Uh, oftentimes I answer the phone, I return all my phone calls. Um, if someone's watching this and I didn't, call me back. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, you really do have a lot of influence over your over your council person because that's where we get our ideas from, from our constituents. That's how we know how our district feels about an issue, and that's right. going to guide how we vote. Well, um, speaking on issues, right? The council, the council members, y'all been on the hot seat since the pandemic. It's just been a lot going down mm -hmm. in, in meetings and things like that. Um, and just recently, right, we had the license plates readers, um, which, you know, was passed by the majority of the council members for the six-month pilot mm -hmm. uh, that was going down. Mm -hmm. And so at first you was, you know, for license plates and readers, right. and then um, you voted against the Right. Can you take us through that process on your initial thoughts on how you felt it would be something that the city needed mm -hmm. um, and your constituents and your community mm -hmm. would benefit from to like, ah, maybe, you know, this it's not right. It's not the right tool or mm -hmm. it's not how the bill is written, I would even say. Mm -hmm. It's not right for what we need right now nationally. So one of the primary complaints I get in my district is like complaints about speeding, mm -hmm. complaints about dumping. And folks will ask me, can we get a couple of cameras on this street so we can catch these people? Right. And I get requests about for cameras a lot. And so the license plate readers were initially addressed, were to address drag racing. Right. 
um, and then other council members who are also interested in license plate readers added additional things to it. And so based off the initial feedback from my district and knowing the complaints that I get in my district, I was a sponsor of that initial bill because I felt like it's a, it's a six month pilot. I did not support just the, oh, we're gonna do license plate readers with no boundaries or anything. I didn't think that that was appropriate, but I felt like a six month pilot, we can look at the data, we can see if it was disproportionately impacting certain communities, and we can use that data to determine if we're gonna move forward with it or not. Um, and the license plate reader, we actually, it's probably about a year that it was pending uh, in the council and we had different amendments and revisions to it. And then this last couple of months, it was just like a resurgence of, of folks, you know, coming out and, and speaking against it. And a lot of the commentary that I was reading and receiving was, you know, from black people questioning other black people who are supporting license plate readers. Right. Uh, basically saying that those black folks who are in support were anti-black and, and to me it just really became contentious within the black community. Right. And that was not my intent for the bill. Right. Uh, and so me personally, I didn't want to be a part of that. Right. Um, and so that's why I took my name off as a sponsor and I ultimately voted against it because it had taken, the conversation had taken a turn that I wasn't happy about. Uh, and I didn't think that it was productive for my community. Right. And then I seen, cause you put out a statement mm -hmm. and I seen that you had said, is it um, Haynes Garden or Haynes Manor? You had said, I can't remember, it was a, it's a community, I think maybe in your district, that, that provided the cameras themselves. Oh, uh, Haynes Park. They're Haynes Park. Haynes Park. Right now. Yeah, they're in District 1. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they had, you know, they had, I don't, I guess they funded the cameras they themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and you said you advocated, like, hey, maybe more communities should, should do this if they really want right. it. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, that comes out their pocket as community, which I feel like is okay. If, you know, yeah, it's accountability. People want to go in. It's your community. Right. I, you know, right. Like, you know, do, do 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 for your community if you really want this. So I thought that was a really great idea and a great example. Um, and I want to um, pivot this to: Do you see? Oh, do you? They hear right. <laughs> they they hear. But do you see um, a way where the LPRs could could be written bill wise in a way that does maybe have some of those guardrails that I've I seen the other people really advocating for. Um, I wasn't the one that's saying, you know, I don't think they could be an asset to the community, mm -hmm. but maybe as written, they needed some things to mm -hmm. maybe reassure community that it won't lead to something else, like facial recognition or where's the data going, mm -hmm. um, who's going to be collecting data, you know, and where are these LPRs primarily going to be at um, based on how a city is, you know, geographically designed. So I, I think there will be a lot of tweaks too, and there are actually three bills that have been introduced. Um, They'll be on first reading at the next council meeting, so you won't actually hear any discussion until the next okay. uh, uh, meeting when they're on second reading. But there are three bills that have been introduced. One, to give the Community Oversight Board more input. Um, another one was to prevent the 
use of LPR data for immigration enforcement. And then there was a third one, I believe, uh, attempting to protect uh, personally identifiable information. Okay. Um, and so, I, and I anticipate that there will probably be other bills as well tweaking right. it and, and trying to fine tune it. Right. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And that's what was growing, right? Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a lot of gentrification, seen a lot of growth, and I think we've seen some efforts to preserve as well. Mm -hmm. um, but with this growth, um, comes affordable housing issues, um, how you mentioned earlier, and just, just development in general. Right? Yeah. Um, how do you see these areas um, playing a part in your district? Because uh, I know, you know, I grew up in your, in your district, we on Tucker Road, you know, and I see Castle Highway, mm -hmm. right? You know, so I have my worries of what's going on, mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure others just want to know, right? Yeah. Um, so can you, can, you, can you break that down for us? Of, just your district and specifically, and I guess national in general, you know, affordable housing crisis, and then like how that affects your district mm -hmm. and the developers, and mm -hmm. you know, just you know, looks like capitalism in a lot of ways mm -hmm. here um, that you know can displace people or can you know um, can price people out, um, poor people, black and brown people specifically. So one of the reasons that I ran for council is because I saw that. My, the, our community that we live in that there was that the development was coming and I felt like we needed to have someone in place who could make sure that was smart development that it didn't displace people that it preserved the history of the area and so as council person I've tried to concentrate new development along those major corridors so Clarksville Highway West Trinity Lane uh, Dickerson Road like those areas are going to look different um, because that's that's just how development works. It's new. It's, it's change. Uh, but by concentrating it along the corridors, my goal is to preserve those established neighborhoods. Okay. Uh, so, and then there's some neighborhoods like that want historical overlays, like Haynes Heights. It has a historical overlay now, so it will always look the way that it looks. Right. Uh, and that neighborhood goes way back to like the. Um, and there are other neighborhoods like that as well, that historic neighborhoods. Um, when there are larger developments in the district, I try to, with the help of the community, make sure that it's not just a developers coming in, they're going to build their project and that's it. It's what are you doing for the community as a whole. And there are different interests in the community. A lot of people like to get out and walk, so you know, are you doing walking trails? Are you contributing to the schools in the area? Uh, who's working on your project, you know, are you employing people, uh, you know, folks who do, who are going to sell condos or homes, you know, are you working with black realtors? Right. So there's a variety of different things that developers can do to be a part of the community and to allow the entire community to benefit. We're not just looking at your new pretty development. Right, right. It seems like a lot of the times, um, when this development is happening, right? And me just knowing, this, it just doesn't happen overnight, right? right. It's, it's, it's years of conversations mm -hmm. sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. But it seems like once people start seeing it, mm -hmm. then more people's like, hold on, what's, what's, what's mm -hmm. going on, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so um, what, what advice would you give community members, right? Or what, 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 what type of tools or that people can find out what's going on 
on what may take place mm -hmm. before it gets to the point where like, mm -hmm. like, hey, we've been talking for five years, the plans mm -hmm. are made, money has been invested, and ain't pretty much nothing we can do at this point. So for my district, you can sign up for my newsletter. Okay. Because everything is in my newsletter. Uh, all of my meetings are advertised in the newsletter as well as my social media. A lot of other council members are on social media. And they also advertise their meetings. Because uh, like you said, um, by the time, my goal is by the time a development gets to council for that public hearing, there's already been a community meeting, folks have already met with the developer to hash out any concerns, and so that when it's time for the public hearing, there's no one there because it's all been worked out. Uh, if, if someone is there at the public hearing, either they didn't pay attention to the meeting notices or didn't know about the meetings uh, or something's wrong. And, and that will give me pause and say, okay, maybe I need to go back or connect this person uh, with the developer. Um, it, it's really about staying plugged in. And like you said, a lot of people, they just don't pay attention until they see the crane or right. you know, the, yeah. the, the land being, you know, And then they blame out. you. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then they blame you, like, oh, yeah, I didn't get the newsletter, or oh, I didn't sign up for it, mm -hmm. but like, still, it's, it's and, your fault. And you know what's all this development happening? They're just pushing us out, and that—that's the thing that can be irritating to see. Cause I'm—I'm I'm very active on social media, so I see a lot of the posts. Right. You know, there they go. That's gentrification. They're—they're they're displacing folks. They're pushing us out when I know the community has worked on this project mm -hmm. to get things that they're comfortable with, right. so that they can be okay with the project. Right. And I also know there have been some projects that have died because the community hated it. Right. Uh, and so it's 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 always a, a little a little irritating when I know that folks who are not tuned in or commenting on things happening in the district when I know the community has been in the district has been actively involved. Do you feel like it's it's other ways that you can make sure people don't miss that information? Mm -hmm. um, because you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, like everybody doesn't have social media, right? Um, everybody doesn't have Wi-Fi or you know, no even know how to work emails right. possibly, right? Have you thought about other ways that you could try to alleviate some of that noise? Because you know, right? Well, I, we had you know five or ten meetings you know over the years talking about this, but you know it's always going to be right. that group of people right. that say, "Oh," and they might not even be from your district, right? Which mm -hmm. is probably the majority of the mm -hmm. time, right? So, is it is there ways to? to kind of work around it that you thought about to just make sure like you did your due diligence, mm -hmm. you checked all of the boxes like and I'm comfortable with what's happening because I know it wasn't just me that was a part of this. So I have a um, advisory council. So okay. my advisory council has someone from every neighborhood in the district. And so I rely on those folks to kind of spread the word as well as be a point person for questions okay. in their neighborhoods. Um, Without having like a staff that's dedicated to me for council stuff, it's kind of hard to use avenues like outside of social media. You know, if you, when I have rezoning meetings, if you live like within a thousand feet of the project, you'll get a notice in the mail. Okay. Uh, sometimes when it's in the budget, I'll do a call out. Um, so I do try to be creative and use different ways to reach out to people. Um, this summer, this spring, summer, I'm gonna go out and, and knock doors and, right. and, and talk to people, uh, and that's not something I can do all the time because that takes yeah. a lot of time. Um, but we're at the midpoint of my term, so I'm gonna 
do that and, and touch more people, especially with my district, with there being a large retired population. A lot of them are on social media, but then a lot are not. And so I want to make sure I'm touching those folks as well. How do you weigh, I guess, the input of people who live in your district, mm -hmm. right, and then people who, who care but don't live in your district? That is touchy. Because <laughs> I think the folks who live in my district take precedent. Okay. Because they, they live in the district, most of them are the folks that voted for me, so I'm right. representing their voice on right. the council. I do have folks who, they don't live in the district anymore, but they grew up in the area. Uh, and sometimes they think they know more than me uh, right. about you know how folks think about different issues, uh, and so there's the the balance there uh, where I try to explain to them you know where I'm coming from, and sometimes you know invite them to a community meeting right. so they can hear right. you know how how the community thinks, and I don't want people. Because I represent District 2, but I also represent Nashville. Right. So I'm not going to completely discredit you because you don't live in District 2. Right. But it's my job to amplify the voices of the folks who live in my district. Right. And then it's like, yeah, 37208, like right across, like right over the, right there over the bridge, mm -hmm. over across the highway. And so you get a lot of, that is amplified, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just the incarceration rate, the, yeah. the studies, and then right. it's like, okay, well, we see what's kind of happening over here. So you get some of those. It's all pretty much the same folks. Maybe we went to school together in mm -hmm. Japan. Mm -hmm. And so you get, so that's that amplified people, but all of them are not in District 2. Right, right. So um, you brought up your term, right? Mm -hmm. 2023? 2023. Council members. Like, I think, is everybody kind of? Uh, uh, yeah. Up for, for election? For all up for election, yeah. So we got, so I, I, I want to make this an emphasis for people. We got, this is, to, to me, this is like local local politics is like this of importance, right? Mm -hmm. And voting in local government is, is of the high importance. We got judicial elections happening now. Yeah. Like, well, the early voting is April, the voting day is May 3rd. Yeah. Next year, council members, right? Yep. You know, judges, DA, council members, right? To me, this is kind of this is this this is gonna shape the future of what Nashville looks like. Right. Um you plan on uh, running again in 2023? Okay, yeah. so people know. <laughs> I'm running in. And you all are four, four year terms? Four years. Four year terms. Yeah, eight and four. Judges, DA, all them are eight years. Council persons, council members, it's four years. What does four more years look like uh, with you in District 2? Um, and how do you play a part in you know the future? Like, I, I, I think these are going to be like the golden years of what. What will or would not happen in a lot of different ways in Nashville? How do you play a part in that? And um, in, in what confidence should people have? Uh, just not only your constituent, but throughout Nashville, to, that you are the best represent Nashville in a just and equitable way and really dive in to you know, eradicate some of those systemic issues, policies, housing, all these things mm -hmm. that we know that are issues, but we need the right people to yeah. use their power and their voice to make sure, like, hey, like, like things happen so we see something different. So I think as far as District 2 specifically, um, the next four years or five, um, rather, looks like, um, for me, seeing through the smart development. So guiding the district through a transition period where 
for me, the hope is that it's more revitalization than gentrification. Gentrification is not just when you raise the economic level of an area, it's also when you change the culture of an area. And my goal is to preserve the culture of the area. Uh, and like I said earlier, where there are different viewpoints in the district, you have to think that Bordeaux was where, and still is, where your doctors, your lawyers, engineers, all those affluent black folks lived. And so, and then you've got, you know, your 37208 where there's a disproportionate amount of, of black people that live in, in poverty. And so there's a, a, a range of socioeconomic statuses in, in the district. And so I've got folks who, you know, they want to see the high-end stuff that they see in Bell Mead. Right. And then I've got folks who want to see more low-income housing. Right. And so I have to mesh all of those um, ideals, and I, and that that will be what I would be doing going through into a, a second term, making sure that the development <clears throat> reflects the the desires of, of the community so that folks can see that revitalization, see more park space, better infrastructure, uh, more restaurants and, uh, and retail and, and entertainment. Uh, also, I'd like to see the community wrap its arms around our schools more. Um, I would like to see more black professionals moving to Bordeaux and North Nashville instead of Bell Mead, Green Hills, and Brentwood. Um, rebuilding that community that used to be so tight-knit and strong and that, that I think can still be that way and in a lot of ways is still that way um, but I think that there are some things that we can do better like you know like I said wrapping our arms around our community schools um, wrapping our arms around you know the youth in the community making sure that they have a pathway to success and I think that I'm best positioned to lead that conversation and to to lead that charge there may be um, some people that, you know, see themselves as future council members of Nashville, mm -hmm. right? Young folks that, you know, especially black women, black girls that may see you and say, oh, there's something I want to do. What advice would you give to those um, persons here in Nashville that inspires to, to, to be a council member in Nashville? Run. Just, just jump in there and run. A, a lot of folks uh, think that, um, that, oh, I, I can't raise the money to run. Right. You'd be surprised at how much money you can make from people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so don't, don't let money be a barrier. Don't let fear be a barrier. If you feel like you have uh, something to offer, then run. Uh, make sure that you are familiar with the issues in your community. Make sure you're talking to different people, not just your friends. Right. Talking to different people in the community who have different opinions about things. So that when you do run, you can articulate what you have to offer right. to the community. Monte Tunes, I appreciate your time. <laughs> I want to give you the last word, but I just wanted to thank you for your opportunity, uh, for being here. Thank you for your availability and uh, opening up and sharing your thoughts about some of the things that's happening here in Nashville and in your district and what your job is and what you do <laughs> and what you really don't want to hear what you do want to hear. Uh, anything else you want to you know leave with the folks? Um. I see a, a bright future for, for District 2 and for Black Nashville, and, and I know that may sound um, off-putting to non-Black people, but I think that because of the, I guess, historical inequities and how Black folks are disproportionately, you know, uh, 
have poor, <laughs> yeah, disproportionately have poor health yeah. out outcomes, poor financial outcomes. When you lift up the black people, the folks, the, those uh, marginalized communities, you right. lift up the entire community. It makes everybody and everything better. Right. Uh, and so my goal, just moving forward, is to continue to move the needle for black people. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And we got to bring you back. <laughs> All right, especially during election day. We got to have you back. All right, so we can go deep into that. All right, All right thank you.